0: Beautiful people. Quick disclaimer. When Charlene and I recorded this episode, she told me she wanted to discuss the original 1965 Broadway cast recording of Man of La Mancha, but as we were talking, it became clear to us she was remembering a different cast album. After the episode, we each did some digging and discovered the version she actually loved is the 1968 double LP London cast recording that features not only the songs but all the dialogue. This confusion was mainly caused by the fact that her parents had and would play both when she was young. So all of our references are to the 1965 version of Mandela Mancha. However, all the clips you will hear are from the 1968 recording, which we were able to track down, and my thanks to Charlene's father Rollin Smith and Logan caldwell Block for helping us track that recording down. All right. Here's the show.
1: Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form
0: of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. With Hello and welcome to the original cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is the producing artistic director for Brave Spirits Theatre, as well as an actor and director. She trained at the London Dramatic Academy and has a master's in letters and fine arts in Shakespeare performance. It's Charlene V. Smith, everybody. Hello. Hello.
1: I'm excited to be here. Good. I'm
0: excited to have you here. And you chose...
1: We're talking about Man of La Mancha. I am Don Quixote, the Lord of La Mancha, my dear. Glory I go.
0: Yes, we are. Our second man of the Mancha journey here on the show. Going so, back to the classics. Going, yes. <laughs> so how did this show come into your life?
1: Well, I grew up in a theater-loving family. So part of figuring out how to answer your question was sort of like taking a look back at my childhood and remembering what did I listen to obsessively and then trying to figure out which came first. Um, and... Man of La Mancha was the one of the series of musicals that I listened to as a child that I remember specifically listening to on record album as opposed to cassette tape.
0: Oh, okay. So I
1: figured it it must have been one of the the earliest. Sure.
0: Okay. So you had the big yellow album? Yes. Okay. And what
1: was so great about it, part of the reason I was so obsessed with it, was it wasn't just the music, it was an entire sound recording of the whole play. Oh. So it was a two record set. And you would basically listen to the entire script,
0: and oh, I wow. loved that. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that existed. Yeah, I'm gonna have to track that down. That's oh my gosh, because that's a slightly different recording than than the I guess than the original. I guess that's
1: true because now what you get on CD is just the, is just the, the, the thing. tracks. Yeah. yeah. Oh,
0: I'll have to look that up. Oh my yeah. gosh, that sounds that sounds intense actually. It sounds yeah. a little like hard to, <laughs> hard, to fa- hard to fathom. <laughs> It's a big show.
1: It is, but I listened to it over and over again as a as a wee child. Oh, all right,
0: <laughs> great. We'll get to we'll get to those in a second. So, just for the people who don't know, could you think you could summarize the plot of *Man of La Mancha*?
1: Oh, sure. So it basically takes place all within uh, a prison uh, during the Spanish Inquisition. There we go. And uh, a poet, Don Miguel Cervantes, is thrown into prison with a bunch of r- rough prisoners uh, awaiting his trial with the Inquisition. Um, for crimes against religion, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's all kind of vague, as the uh, Inquisition was. yeah.
1: And so the, the prisoners are ready to sort of rough him up and take all his stuff, and in an effort to... to he comes in with, like, a trunk of belongings right. that they're going to just take and divvy up or destroy. And to stop them, uh, because one of the belongings is a script, uh, the story of Don Quixote, um, and so in order to get them to not destroy his work, his life's work, he tells the story of Don Quixote with himself playing the lead character and, and bringing the prisoners in on the story. And then the he tells the story of Don Quixote, which then I guess we have to explain what the story of Don Quixote is. Well, I think Don Quixote
0: is a pretty <laughs> –
1: Famous enough. Pretty
0: famous enough. Right. I mean, yeah. It, I think everybody knows who Don Quixote is.
1: And, yeah. And the musical ends then with the, the officers of the Inquisition coming and taking – Cervantes away.
0: Right. To the actual Inquisition. Yeah. But he's there, And he's gained the prisoner's... Respect. Respect. Yeah. yeah that's exactly I how I would phrase so. it phrase it. A question mark? Right.
1: Because <laughs> they, I mean, they sort of uh, are pretty dismissive of him when they, uh, when he tells them he's a poet. Right. And I guess through the story, they realize the power of storytelling.
0: Right. Because he does have to, he hasn't finished it in the conceit of the story. Right. And he has to finish it. For them, they kind of demand that he make up the ending. Yeah, and he does. And and in that, in the ending of the show, yeah, it's a because it's not a faithful adaptation of Don Quixote. No, and it's also not a faithful telling of Cervantes' life. It is it is pure invention. God bless the public domain. Um,
1: Yeah, and I have a kind of funny story about that. Oh sure. Because I was also thinking about musicals that you know cropped up in my life as I grew up and. when i was in ap english in high school i remember one of the essay questions was about madness in works of art and Mm. so they were like they give you examples and they said you know you could talk about hamlet you can talk about don quixote you can talk about this or that and so i wrote my essay on hamlet and don quixote having never read don quixote Uh. and using only my knowledge of man of la mancha (laughs) and how did that go you know, I passed. Better I got than expected. A pretty good right, score. Yeah. Well, I knew because
0: it's not unfaithful. It should be said. It's right. just not Dale Wasserman who wrote the book and the the play that it's based on, which is called I'm, I Don Quixote, which is a teleplay, actually. Apparently, often bristled when people would call it the musical version of Don Quixote because it is not that. It is. And not And I knew the musical enough then at that, the
1: that age that I knew that it wasn't exactly the same. So I, when I was writing my essay, I do remember trying to be a little bit vague about things right. to not. Trap myself
0: in that area. Yeah. Um,
1: I'm sure the essay readers could tell,
0: <laughs> right? Well, that you were fuzzy. It's a. Yes. Bi- I mean, <laughs> I'm going to sound like uh, what's his name, Henry Winkler on Arrested Development I was like. what's a very big book. You know, it takes a long time. That's to true. Read. And um, how many
1: of those APSA readers do we think have actually read Don Quixote? Well,
0: I'm sure they all have. But have they read really? it recently? All of them. I mean, no. recently though. Well, that's, that's the thing. True. I mean, because it's a what, 800 page?
1: It's pretty Spanish yeah. novel
0: from the 16th yes. century. Like it, it's also. I think the first novel. Am I right about that? I think it's considered. I don't know. certainly a progenitor of of, uh, of the of the novel, the form that as a right. form of storytelling, and so it's not. I imagine like straightforward, like what we would consider a novel. It's got yeah. a story, but it's also got. It's not like an entertaining and romp. Exactly right. It's a collection of, yeah. of this of this man, and yeah, he rides horses into windmills, and he wears a. A plate on his head, and yeah, I mean, all those tropes are still there. So, right. I saw the Brian Stokes Mitchell revival, which Nick Vargas right. and I talked about.
1: It was it was very interesting listening uh, to that episode because I didn't see the revival, but I had heard the cast album, mm-hmm. and I remember. Not liking things about it that you sort of then talked about on the episode. Yeah, and I was like, oh, because I, I, like right. I, I like this one better. I like this
0: cast album better, and I like this. I like this era for cast albums a lot. I mm-hmm. like these mid late sixties cast albums with not a lot of dialogue. Though, of course, you had the one that had all the dialogue apparently. But they're very. It's just the songs. It's very straightforward. The voices are. Some of them are great. Some of them are not. But they're all cast appropriately for yes. those good or not. What did you love about it as a child? Let's, let me start there. Um, what was captivating about it for you? I
1: think I loved the sort of soaring the, – the score soars a lot. Mm-hmm. So I think that's great as a child. I mean, I, w- I would put it on and just um, – I would, you know, like run around my living room jumping off the couch singing along, you know. Um, so it's very easy to get into that way. I mean, I think I also loved it because it was the full text recording. So I felt like I was experiencing the entire play. Mm-hmm you know, and I got to do that myself. Um, I guess it's a pretty, um, it's an emphatic musical, I guess if that makes sense, which I think is a great thing. It's so, it's very easy for kids to latch onto, I would imagine. Um, the, The characters are very clear. Um, I'm really, I think that I'm, I'm answering your question in a very analytical way. Like, what would I, like, as well, a child? Well, it's a pretty, you but it is an analytical
0: <laughs> question. I mean, if you <laughs> don't. I, don't know. I
1: mean, like, it's hard to remember when you're a kid, what it was just, like being six. Exactly right, because you know? just like
0: stuff. You right. don't think about it. But I I yeah. just
1: like jumping off of my um, living room couch singing I Am I Donkey Quixote. Sure, okay, absolutely.
0: Know? I mean, when Tracy Oliveira was here talking about you're a good man, Charlie Brown. she like, standing on the arm of the couch right. singing Charlie Brown. That's what you like.
1: Yeah. This all goes to. I think what I said in my email when we were like, what are we going to talk about? And I said, I'm just going to warn you, I don't like this show anymore.
0: Right, which is great.
1: (laughs) the reasons why all center around Aldonza. um, It's been hard sort of growing up because you have all these things that you love from your childhood and then several years go by and you don't have any um, interaction with them. And then you revisit them as an adult and you see all the problems and all the flaws. And it's it's somehow worse as if you... than if you had never Mm -hmm. encountered it before um, because it's this nostalgia that's being killed a little bit. So, um, and this has happened to me with several musicals where it'll have gone several years and I had not seen it and then I'd go back and see it finally and I would just have so many problems with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I last saw Man of La Mantra, I was so very unhappy with it as a piece because I found that the character of Aldonza had had no integrity. And I don't mean that as though the the characters in the person of Aldonza doesn't have integrity. I mean character is in the dramatic device. In every single scene, she is whatever that scene needs her to be. Mm-hmm. She is whatever the writers think the male lead needs from that female character. So it has nothing to do with a real woman, journey. Uh, and the result is you you have this sense of someone with no agency and who doesn't even make sense in a way that's incredibly problematic when you look at the story as a whole, because she is this prostitute who is, you know, quote unquote, saved by this man who shows her the true way. Um, and it's actually quite upsetting to watch. And when she says, oh, no, I, I am Dulcinea, it's not what you want to happen because she has such good points in the beginning when she has I mean, her two songs are great. Mm-hmm. you know, when she says, See me for who I truly am. Yeah, you know, this is who I am. This is what I do with my life. I understand it. Why can't you? and then then, to see that completely get dropped in the service of of this, you know, of the plot of the male character is really frustrating
0: she is because my original complaint would have been that she has no agency but that isn't exactly true cuz she does do stuff. Right. You're absolutely right that she is
1: It's her, her agency is at the whims of the, the whims of the writers. Right.
0: She's not the least like she's not the female lead with the least agency I've ever seen in a Broadway musical in the 60s but she certainly is one of that set. But it feels like did you watch Doctor Who?
1: Um, I have seen some of Doctor okay. Who.
0: Okay. The problem I have with Stephen Moffat's writing of Doctor who, who is writing it right now, and his specifically, I've talked about this a lot with my friend Sarah Tantillo, about the character of River Song, who's played by Alex Kingston oh, in the right, show. Oh, right, right. Stephen Moffat, he writes a female character. His female characters are always, they sort of mistake sass for depth mm. a lot of the time, where they are brazen and they are forceful and they still are totally at the service of the male characters just in a much more sub, like subversive way almost like like that you d- kind of don't notice it so it ends up being kind of like what a guy thinks a, like w- we're watching his idealized version of a woman but it's still through the eyes of a man right so it's still the man's story now on a television show with a main character that's a little more because obs- like, you don't want you want the doctor to save the universe you don't want the supporting character to so i kind of get that but in this it happens again because she's brazen, she's brassy, she takes no crap from anybody. But and she is the only character who changes in this show. She's the like okay.
1: I mean, yes, if you want in, in, if, I should say, if we within, to put a story, positive spin on it. In the
0: story within the story, she right. is the only character to change. Right. So, that's interesting. But it's not enough. And that's what right. I'm but like and that's I, what I mean. And I
1: sort of object to the ways in which she well, changes. Which is I find that
0: really interesting. Yeah. So, why do you object to the way she changes?
1: Because I don't think it's earned because i think oh, okay. i think her changes are not about her they're about don quixote okay and his track um because i think it's about providing what that character needs in every circumstance it's never about her character
0: but even though she makes the change after he dies is it still i'm not saying you're yeah. wrong i'm just curious about this this thought
1: i just found it like the last time i saw it, i just found the, the track very unsatisfying okay because it didn't seem linked and it it seemed you know it just seemed like every scene was like well what does he need her to be in this moment right. um, and i think i think this is also tied into the way the script uses violence against women which i also find problematic yes th- um, absolutely in that again her the attack on her is used as a tool in his story and it's the 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 work itself doesn't seem to actually care about the seriousness of that attack because what is more serious in that world is the possible violence against Cervantes by the Inquisition because when the story breaks, Mm -hmm. it's not because the prisoners are upset at this attack on the woman. The story breaks when the threat is against Cervantes, against the man. And it's very hard to to sit through and watch.
0: Absolutely. It's a... It's a scene that is meant to have great i not I mean ironic is the right word, but not in a funny way. like tragically ironic uh, moments where like because it uses that reprise. sweet song that then comes back as a reprise that, that I mean' is not a they didn't invent this technique, but it can be very effective sure. to turn a song on itself a little bit. And it really does all the things to make you feel bad. Mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't feel it almost I don't know if it either if it works too well in the sense that I feel genuinely disgusted because I don't think that's what it wants me to do. I think right. it wants me to be like, oh my gosh, like terrible normal you know thing. But then swing it, like you say, right back around on Cervantes and and Quixote. And I find it – like I remember when I saw the show and I knew there was a rape scene in the show. I remember feeling just – like I couldn't enjoy the show for a while. Like it was just – I was out of the show in a bad way. I was now like – I don't know what's – I don't know what I just saw. And
1: And, I think the structure of the show like kind of expects you to kind of move on with it.
0: Very quickly move on. With the only – like – but also, I mean, there's how many female characters in this? Three? Three. She is the only of those three female characters who we are supposed to like, I think, in any way. Or, right. Uh, or at least emotionally empathize with. I yes, mean, the, other, the two, other two
1: are comic.
0: Comic, yeah, exactly. So right. we're
1: supposed to enjoy them, but they're not necessarily. We're not necessarily supposed to hate
0: them, but we're not supposed people. to really. Yeah, we're not supposed yeah. to like them. And right. I think we're really supposed to love Althansa. It was funny to hear you say, like, you don't think it's earned. I, I feel that it was an interesting moment. Like I I come at it also from the unearned way, but I never thought about it in terms of her, like it wasn't earned for her. I feel like the story didn't earn the ju- like the feeling that the show wants me to have is this like yeah like stand up and applaud thing, and I was just like, well, I didn't like you didn't get me there the right, right. way. Like I'm here.
1: Do you think that's a common problem with musicals? Because I often find there are endings. Some... Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but specifically because they try and make I find this I think that I can think of several musicals that. That I like and that I think flub the ending because they want me to be happier at the ending than I'm ready to be.
0: It's funny to me how many musicals, especially from this era, do not have a closing number that solves the problem. right. Like Music Man is a great example. Music Man's big musical finale is Till There Was You. And then everything that happens after that for like 20 minutes is dialogue because we need to wrap this plot up. And then we all sing 76 trombones at the end. But
1: But that's a reprise. But that's a reprise. And this
0: show does the same thing. I have the, I pulled up the song list, right? Because it goes Dulcinea, Impossible Reprise, Impossible Dream Reprise, and the finale, Impossible Dream, is also a reprise. Right. It doesn't, there's, like, the musicals that we, that get you to that ending, and and and, um, Fiddler's kind of like this a little Mm -hmm. bit. Anna Tefka is a little bit more, like, the story wraps up in a much more down way, and it's a lot more plot light it's more character development stuff right. but it still kind of doesn't have this big like Although and, and I think the post shows all these shows have huge opening numbers and right. they and I mean I have a respect for them
1: willing willing to sort of go down cuz I find that this is you know, an issue I have often with, with serious musicals mm-hmm. that then try to be happy at the end. Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel about both the ending to Ragtime and Next to Normal, where I feel like I'm not ready to hmm. go where you're taking me. That's
0: interesting. Yeah. I agree with Next to Normal. I, I find Next to Normal's finale to be a little problematic. Now, I've never seen it, so I don't, mm. I can't speak truly to it. Ragtime is interesting and, and connected to this issue because – there are so many threads that have to be pulled tight at the That's end of it. True. But it does, I, I guess I excuse Ragtime because the ending parallels the opening, where it is just a lot of people talking to the, and like we, we're kind of joining this in, in Medius Race, and we're kind of leaving yeah. it in Medius Race I a little know. bit. I
1: don't mind all, all that bit. What I mind, <laughs> maybe this is revealing how black my soul is. <laughs> Jeez. I, I mind the insistence on hope after after what we've witnessed.
0: Okay. Hey, no, this is good. I like this. All right. Now we're talking about something.
1: That kind of came out sounding terrible, didn't it?
0: Well, no, I don't think so. I think if I can, do you you mean that you object to the fact that there has, like these shows that have very melancholy finales don't lean into the melancholiness more? That they sort of try to twist it?
1: Yeah, because it seems like they feel like they have to Find a way to make things okay at the end, and you know, in life, things don't always end mm-hmm. up okay.
0: I guess it depends on your definition of okay. Well, that's true. Because Ragtime's ending, I think most people would not. I agree with you about yeah. Ragtime's ending that it is reaching for a positive finale. It's
1: like oh, you know, we're gonna because
0: all like on balance, all the good people lived, and right? Like, so and, and, the, and then
1: they're also like our our children are gonna f- go forth into the future. Well, it and is trying solve to the world, and
0: it is trying to sh- to bring this whole like. That polyglot connection, uh, melting pot finale with Tata marrying right. the mother and all their kids are now a yeah. family. And it's sort of like – and included it, it in that is Cole like House the, Walker Jr. Jr. and like all the other ones. Ending
1: racism isn't that simple. No, it is
0: not. <laughs> it is – see, that's – and that's the danger yeah. is it feels like – it's like, oh, it's – you know, it's just, this is really simple. All you have to do is what? Like, so many people have to die (laughs) in terrible, tragic ways, and we can be fine. Like, it'll all just come together in this one marriage. The
1: children will fix it. And he'll
0: invent movies. Um, So, it's funny that that is... Gosh, that's so funny. Because I never thought of it this way of, like, of a forced happy ending. Because this show... This show almost gets away with it to me because the ending ending... Is not... Is not happy happy. Because he's going to the Inquisition. Yeah. But to fight against myself for a second, the book does get published. Like we, because we, we read it, right. so like you know he doesn't, like he doesn't die. So it is that kind of like,
1: right? So but I, he yeah, know so that, I don't obviously. mind the sort of Cervantes ending. It's yeah. just sort of the Aldonza being like, I am Dulcinea. because Dulcinea is also not a real person. Like it right. is a male fantasy of what a woman should be. It is, right. it is woman exists to be a muse to me. Right. You know. It's not an individual person with hopes and dreams of her own. She's only there to inspire me and my life. And
0: it's the terrible – this became – it's a big trope, but it it has become a trope of rom-coms. Now, modern rom-coms have kind of settled into this thing of the like, why can't you just let him love you? And then everything will be fine. Right. Like if you just let him love you, this person who you don't really like, if you just let him love you, you'll be fine. Well, and and that's
1: the story too that – we have so many stories, and and this falls into it too, where the woman doesn't want the man's love, but as long as he persists, eventually she'll come oh, around. God. Like, and that's a little bit in this musical. Um, it was oh also, yeah. Uh, when I saw which th- is
0: now to to be entirely fair. His.
1: It's a different kind of love. I was gonna say, do you consider
0: that It's not
1: relationship sexual love. You're not
0: wrong, but it's not like it's not that gross kind of like But it
1: is it's not gross, but it is woman on pedestal.
0: True, absolutely. Not person. Yes. And he never listens to her. I mean he doesn't listen to anybody, but he really doesn't (laughs) listen to her. (laughs) Yeah. That's really true. Yeah. Now was she now you maybe can clear something up because I think you've seen this more recently than I have. When she sings Aldanza to him. Is that what what spins him into his coma? This is the thing that I don't ever quite remember.
1: Well, isn't Al, Aldonza's the the intro number that she sings to all the? No, oh. it's all the same, is what she sings. It's to all the, the same as the her intro. Yeah,
0: Aldonza is the one. And Aldonza is the
1: one where she sings to him, being like, I'm not your lady. I'm not any kind of a lady. I was spawned
0: in a ditch by Die. like which is not an uncommon trope in these kind of stories about someone who is mentally not living in reality when someone confronts them with all the reality
1: they, they shut can't down it.
0: and then the character who confronted them with all the reality has to bend to their insanity a little bit and accept their ins- to bring them right. back into the world and then theoretically they both find this balance where it's like I'm okay. Like I'm a little crazy. You're a little more sane, and we're both right. like we're now we're living in the world. Well, and of course, it's
1: interesting because the musical sort of contains slightly different viewpoints on that. In that, like, I I'm more on board with Cervantes as a character than Don Quixote, and I'm more interested in the way Cervantes talks about possibility and hope mm-hmm. than the way that Don Quixote does. Yeah, interestingly, because
0: it's fiction and fi- I mean story and story. So
1: right, because a, Cervantes. Brings in the cynicism, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. facing the Inquisition. There's yeah. there, that's the time it's, it's to be there. cynical.
1: Yeah. Do you think
0: that you would that as an that the audience would? I'll just I'll just ask you. I won't ask you to speak for everyone. Do you think you would have it would raise your affection or understanding of Aldonza or her agency if she was also a character in the reality of the prison? Because one thing I was very aware of was that, you know, we're pulling from all these people in the prison and stuff. But the character of Aldonza is just like a scullery or whatever right. prison waif who then gets swept into this thing. And it's never quite clear to me what her relationship is to the other prisoners. Right. Because if I, f- I feel like if she was, like we know Cervantes is Don Quixote, his his manservant is Sancho. Everything else is kind of muddy. That's true. But, like, if she was a clear character in the real world and in the fiction, I wonder if that would solve it might this issue. It yeah, her... because it,
1: it then possibly it's more about what the prisoner experiences as opposed to Aldonza having to sort of go from, I'm a prostitute and now I'm going to believe that everything can be okay. Right. <laughs> well,
0: and that is true because that is the only switch she has is that yeah. she now... She hopes. I mean, as you said, like right. she has hope, which is so little, and you find very offensive. But uh, <laughs> that was fu- that's a little what, hard to be hopeful. Well, but right it's a now. funny way. Well, yeah. true.
1: Hope in hope in the right measure. I mean, hope is important. Well, what is I the right measure? Do you think?
0: Hope, What's I mean, a show that gets it right for you? I mean, what is a oh, show I have that no can you idea. think of one that, oh. that that kind of nails this? I don't
1: know. I mean, I guess the way because I, I am
0: a hundred percent with you on this. Right. Like, I don't like. When I was in high school, I used to hate happy endings, just in a very, like, aggressive way. That's, that's and me. I have now since gotten to the point, like, I don't like bowed endings. Mm. I don't like stories that end with everything all tied up and everybody's happy and sure. fine. And and, it, and it, I don't like happily ever after. That's what I don't like. Yeah. And so anytime a, a show or a book or a movie or whatever has that, it it irks right. me because it isn't realistic. But I will say... This is gonna sound so stupid, but since becoming a dad, I have found it impossible to not hope in this way. Sure. Because if I stop, it will be irresponsible. You
1: That's know what I fair. mean?
0: Because then, why did I have a kid? Like that I'm, kind of becomes that, right. that switch to I me. I
1: guess I've always. I mean, like you know, we we've just spent you know twenty minutes dumping on the show, so I guess I can also like switch. Well, you said you I didn't like kind of, it. I no, mean, I you, don't. You know. But I could talk about like what what sort of got to me when I was younger and, mm-hmm. and so still has something. Sure. And this will tie into the hope conversation because it is, it is – I'm not completely anti-hope because, of course, you know, the monologue that Cervantes has, I quoted – I used the entire thing um, when I gave my speech at my high school graduation. And then, again, in college, I was picked to be the student speaker at our Phi Beta Kappa ceremony, and I, and I did the same thing again. And I guess I, if I remember correctly, I was looking at, um, you know, sort of that will to make things better, but also while still knowing what they are. And I think that's kind of the difference between Don Quixote and Cervantes that, that sort of gets at the Aldanza problem with me. It's like you have to, yes, like fight to make things better, but you also have to understand what they are. You know. So,
0: what are the things for Aldon? I mean, what do you, what would you like for her? What do you want to say?
1: I mean, I think you kind of hit it. Like, it'd be nice if, if he actually listened to her at mm-hmm. some point, you know, and maybe even asked her what she wants. I mean, I guess that's the other thing when you talk about giving someone we don't hope even know and dreams. She, yeah. she may have hope at the end, but we don't know what that means. So, like, what if Aldonza has the possibility to hope for something better for herself? What is that better? Mm-hmm. We don't know. It's never defined.
0: Yeah. You know. And she's also, like, in the context of the story, she's a woman, a poor woman, and a prostitute in, when does Don Quixote take place? 15th century, 16th century, right. wherever they are, Spain? In, in this like, inn like, somewhere. that's not great. No. To begin with. And it would almost be, see, what I kind of want is for her to have hope and be mad at him about it. Because her situation is hopeless and she like intellectually knows that, but she still had like, but he has, despite all of her effort, he has imbued her with this positive outlook. Right. And she's accepting of it, but kind of pissed because like this isn't going to be helpful in my life. Yeah. yeah, I like that. That that, that sort of like, I think so, because I was going to ask you like, what is the right amount of hope? But I think you, you answered it with that idea of like. It's, it's hope within your circumstance. It's not like a man's reach should exceed his grasp or what's a heaven for. It's right. like we we can hope for things, but we also have to know where we are so that we can deal with the reality of our situation. Right. Okay. And
1: That's all that good. makes it, like that, that speech does still get to me. Like I bet yeah. I could still remember most Could you of remember it? it? Well, what did he say? Well, you want me to try? Sure, go. Okay, it. so uh, someone says, someone's like, you gotta see life as it is, right? And then, because this is where he's, it's broken the story, right? And he's back to being Cervantes because at the yes. end of it, he goes back into Don Quixote, like determined to finish the story. Right. So he, sa- he says, I have lived for, what is it, fit, nearly 50, 50 years, years? yeah. And I have seen life as it is. Pain, misery, hunger, cruelty be- beyond belief. I've heard the singing from taverns and the moans from bundles of filth on the streets. I have been a soldier and seen my comrades fall in battle or die more slowly under the lash in Africa. I have held them in my arms at the final moment. These were men who saw life as it is, yet they died despairing. No glory, no gallant last words. Only their eyes filled with confusion, whimpering the question, why? I do not think they asked why they were dying, but why they had lived. When life itself seems lunatic, who knows where madness lies? Perhaps to be too practical is madness. To surrender yeah, dreams, may this be may be madness. madness.
0: To seek, to seek treasure, treasure
1: where there is, is only trash. Perhaps too much to sanity may be madness. And madness all. of all, to see, to life, see life as it, as is. it is and, and not, not as, as it, it should to be. be. I am A. Don Quixote, the Lord of La Mancha,
0: destroyer of evil.
1: Sound bomb, the of the of forever to conquer or die.
0: <laughs> So what what is the but what like so let's stick with the irresponsible version of that? Because I, I feel this is very important. I really do. This this idea of what what is your art saying about the world. And there is an irresponsibility to, you know, hey, it's all gonna be great.
1: Right.
0: I always wonder what it is like for women and minorities in the creative field where you do not have as much Mm. leeway to suck
1: i could talk about that please do do it we could oh yeah um no women and i would imagine also um people of color do not have the same freedom to fail the the risks are higher um and you know a bad disaster um can stop your career process you know um Mm. and i think Certainly, what we've been talking about a lot in Shakespeare Land is is what happened to Emma Rice over at the Globe, mm-hmm. um, first artistic female artistic director of the Globe. I mean, they haven't been around that long, so she's the third, but has has received such a higher level of criticism in so many ways um, that that it's clear it's something worth talking about. Right. Um, and what's also been, and she has been fired um, from the globe because the, um, essentially the story is the board is unhappy with, um, the way she is using theater technology in her productions. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many people who only want to focus on that part of the story and dismiss any questions about talking about gender equity and sexism and the way that affects art. Um, which, which I think is a mistake Mm -hmm. um, because the fact remains that women don't get those positions as much uh, or as frequent. And, and certainly, and you can find the difference in the way critics and audience members talk about female directors, uh, female artistic directors and male directors, male artistic directors. Like, you know, I saw people criticize Emma Rice when her appointment was first announced Um, because she had only ever directed one Shakespeare play before in her career. And I had a colleague on Facebook say, you know, how do you get to be the artistic director of the Globe when you've only directed one Shakespeare play? The artistic director prior to Emma Rice, Dominic Dromgul, had only directed one Shakespeare play Mm -hmm. prior to his appointment at the Globe.
0: Right. But nobody, that little detail was never (laughs) never shipped out. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So, so... We aren't given the opportunity to fail in the same way. And when we do fail, uh, it's a lot riskier.
0: Mm-hmm. And a lot final. I mean, a lot more. Yes. The, the, this, I have to say the first time, you know, I'm a cisgendered, straight white man, like the world is built for me. But so like I have these moments of revelation with these things. And I, it happened when, interestingly enough, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark was in its endless preview <sighs> cycle. And like I kept reading all this stuff about Julie Taymor. Who at that point had done Lion King, which right. is the second or third longest-running Broadway musical ever. It's a visual revelation. I have a lot of problems with the score, but what like from a directing standpoint, design standpoint, you cannot sure. argue with that show. And there's
1: a lot to talk about with her Titus as well. Yeah, exactly right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I
0: mean, she has she is clearly a vision, visionary, and a talent. And the fact that she was getting all of the flack. With Spider-Man for a really long time, it first struck me as, like, that's weird. And then it struck me as, this is stupid. Like, this is clearly not, this can't be the way it is. I was reading, because we were all were keeping up with, like, this ridiculous musical and its ridiculous problems. But I kept reading that and going, like, this doesn't, none of this tracks for me. Like, and I'd never you seen.
1: There's a team of people who's responsible for what's happening well, here. Well, and
0: like, yeah. And there's, why am I never hearing about anyone else? Like, it was that, like, of, you know, I get, like, she has a vision and it's clashing with the writers or the producers. Fine. But why am I never hearing about the idiot producer who won't let it go? Or the, it, like, the fact right. that Bono and The Edge are, like, being unreasonable about. The... Why is that never what I'm hearing about? Why is it? always all about Julie Taymor, who is un, like, who is proven. And that was what struck me as really weird. If it was a man who had like, if it was a newcomer, a newcomer male, it probably still wouldn't have happened, but it would have like, I would have at least been like, oh, I get it, like this person is unproven, they're being given their first shot and they're blowing it and like, or they're being the scapegoat, which happens a lot when you're first time out. But she was Julie Taymor, like right. everyone knew her name. And she was getting disrespected in a way that I found unbelievably uncomfortable and irrational, yeah. regardless of what I think about the show. I think that it was silly. It was unbelievably silly. And then she got fired from I mean, she lost her job right. over it and hasn't had, like, a big musical on Broadway since. since. Now, I don't know if any of that is her being, like,
1: no thanks. nope. Right.
0: You know, because she does direct straight theater and movies and videos and, like, does a lot of stuff. Yeah. But it is still that feeling of, like... There and was, Susan Stroman's the same way after yeah, Young was, Frankenstein. There
1: was a great article maybe like three years ago, I think, in Vanity Fair about women in Hollywood. And they, they were crunching the numbers about um, the budgets male directors were given compared to how much money their films were making mm-hmm. and showed that men could make a lot less on a movie or even oh, yeah. lose money and still get the next level budget job. Mm-hmm. Whereas for women, it was much harder and much less um, – much less common for women to get the bigger budget jobs.
0: Well, in entertainment, when it's also a, it's an expectations game. So like, I feel that when Ava DuVernay did Selma and it didn't win any Oscars, or actually it wasn't even nominated for any Oscars, really. I mean, it was nominated for a couple, but it was not nominated for many. That was viewed as her failure. Yes. It, which is the way entertainment works. There's an expectations game at play. And it was expected when Selma came out that it was going to be the big move, like the big historical epic about, you know, at a very timely period in history, sure. and it was going to be the movie and it was going to sweep at the Oscars. And then when that didn't happen, she kind of bore all of that in yes. a re- and she I think is is a I think a lot – being in a more much more public set- setting, also someone much more willing to speak her mind, sort of being like, well, if I'm going down, I'm going down swinging. Like you're not going to take – so she has kind of weathered that in a way that a lot of people, men or women, wouldn't have. But it's a it's a, it's it's unbelievable that she now is directing Wrinkle in Time. Like she has a, another job and that's stupid that it's like th- that it's no one really- else would have survived. Yeah,
1: this. I definitely remember <sighs> – that it seemed an inordinate amount of criticism around the film Selma, which was a beautiful film.
0: So how do you, where does this show sort of sit for you now? Since you said you don't like it now, yeah. but that doesn't quite seem to be true to me.
1: Well, you, you, I, I guess, I mean, I don't, yeah, I have issues with it. Um, I mean, I'm sort of like bringing back the nostalgia and like like what, what links to me. I, I will say after the last time I saw it, I I took the music off of my iTunes. Because,
0: oh wow! Because
1: the production, I was just so upset by it that I didn't want to listen to the music. Um, oh my gosh, that is yeah. a severe
0: reaction. Yeah. Okay, maybe you do not. Maybe you don't like the show anymore.
1: <laughs> wow, um, really? Maybe maybe enough time. Probably enough time has passed that I could probably start listening yeah, when, to when, it again. When when
0: when did you see it? How many years ago? You don't have to, like, tell me where or anything, but, like...
1: Maybe, like, two years ago that I saw it.
0: That's a pretty... Because that is an extreme reaction to this. I don't know that I've ever seen anything that I liked before. So, like, that affected me so much, I've, like, gone and shut it down on the other side. Right,
1: because there are things I've listened to less. I mean, like, I feel like we all probably went through the phase... Those of us who loved Les Mis as a child, then as an adult, where we were like, I'm not going to listen to it Just not listening right to it
0: as much, yeah. Right. Mm. Um,
1: but that was a little different. Like, I literally, like, deleted it so it wouldn't come up on shuffle. Wow. Um, but I think it it all, it all you know, squared around the treatment of female characters. And I think mm-hmm. that's, I mean, part of that is because that is a, a big focus of my life now. And so it's something I notice a lot in our storytelling. And, you know, this does link back to what we were talking about about. You know, women not getting trusted with jobs because because representation matters in our The stories we tell matter, mm-hmm. and when we continually tell stories about women in a very limited fashion, that affects how far we are able to get in society and yeah. the way the way the way we think of ourselves and of each other.
0: Well, and what we see matters. I mean, it yeah. is this like uh, uh, when I teach visual literacy here, I talk about this all the time, and I feel that it. Some people who just never get it, but it is this idea that, like, it's this concept of the white man as normal or default, right? And that everything else is an offshoot of that, so that, like, there is such a thing as women's cinema, there is such a thing as African American cinema, there's such a thing as gay cinema, like, there's But there's no just such thing cinema as is, right, is, I, is the cinema, right? But just cinema is straight white men, right? And that is n- n- stupid. I mean, it's really like, and <laughs> and and I don't you know like, oh God I have so many feelings but it is that like that problem of it thinking of it as default is is really an issue especially when you have these issues of of, of female ads and and directors and things where it's like all right we're gonna give her a chance oh she blew it like right. that's it never mind never again we're never gonna do like we're just gonna go back to the normal thing of the underachieving white dude and like that's just what it's gonna be. And,
1: and there isn't, um, you know, the path doesn't exist for women to the, those upper echelons because, um, you know, and this isn't a bad thing. It's probably a very natural thing. When we become mentors in our own lives, we we find mentees that remind us of ourselves. Yeah. And so when you – when the majority of major budget theaters are run by white men, when they retire, they tend to be replaced by younger white men because that is who um, they've connected with. Mm-hmm. And that is who – they have um, mentored into those positions, mm-hmm. um, and so it makes it very hard for um, for those diversity for those diversity numbers to change. Yeah, no, but I think it's that... true. Like this is why part of I've I've loved discovering this podcast and listening to it because it's kind of like reawakened my appreciation for musical theater because I was like obsessed as a kid and I and I you know listen nonstop and I knew way more about musical theater than anyone expected me to for someone who didn't perform in musical theater, you know, and then. More in recent years, I sort of, like, tapered off my listening and wasn't really listening to musicals as much, um, partly because I felt like I'd go see them and always end up disappointed and partly because... Um I lost all my music when a hard drive went bad. Oh. <laughs> but then, like, through this uh, this podcast, I have sort of... It's it's reawakening. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that musical. Mm-hmm. I used to listen to that musical. Oh, that musical. You know, and I really appreciate listening to people's stories about when they were young and, and, and remembering things that I had forgotten about my childhood, having similar reactions to whatever they were talking there about. There
0: is something so. about this that we love. Yeah. And I think that... What's so interesting about musical theater to me is that if you like musical theater, you like musical theater. And you like all of it in to varying degrees. But you do like all of (laughs) it, especially when you start.
1: (laughs) Uh, You'll love this. When I was um, I I guess I was probably in high school. One day in a conversation, my mother accused me of not having very eclectic musical tastes. (laughs) And I said to her, but mom, I listen to all kinds of musicals. It's true. Yeah, it was. There's a lot of different kinds of music in there, (laughs) There
0: but it's funny how they all go together.
1: I've tried to think about that too, because there are there are musicals that I enjoy listening to in musical styles that I don't listen to Mm -hmm. on the radio, Um, and I think it has something to do with story and character. You know, it's not just about the musical style; it's about it's about the longer connection and the longer journey through a story.
0: Yeah, because it's funny that, like, I wouldn't ever put Green Day and, like, Judy Collins on the same playlist. <laughs> like, I just wouldn't. But if American Idiot, the musical album, is playing and then it shuffles into Godspell, I'm not going right. to complain. And it's a funny, like, that to me is a pretty clean comparison between Green Day and Judy Collins. So, yeah, that there is something link that links all this together that like fine you hate wicked or you hate starlight express or you. Hate, i'm just gonna pick all the shows we i've just recorded right. oh, um good. and like or, or all whatever all my past guests, will, my be past guests will be like what you know or les <laughs> mis or whatever but like but you love sondheim or you love lacusa or you love light in the piazza like you have these other sh- like these shows that didn't run forever that people like to be snobby about Right. but you do like starlight express like don't tell me you don't there's something in there that that you'll get
1: caught up in it even if you exactly right
0: you would go see it like if i gave you a ticket you'd go see it like i just i just know that about it or you'd
1: is that the roller skating that's the roller skating yeah i would go (laughs) see that kenny
0: (laughs) neal came in and we did that it was that was that's a fun one i can't wait for. i've
1: never seen starlight express no one has
0: well kenny has but it's nobody does it because it's all on roller skates i have an idea that i want to tell you about after we stop recording about this um but it is that like As much as we – I mean, I could sit here and rail all day about Phantom of the Opera or Cats or a lot of shows that Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote. But I have them. I paid money for all of them. And I still listen to them. Like, I may skip, like, if four songs from Phantom come up on Shuffle, I'm going to skip that fourth song. Like, I don't really need to hear it. Like, Prima Donna comes up. I should probably delete that from my phone. But, you know, I'm kind of listen. I don't
1: don't think I own a recording of Phantom, but – Every now and then, I wouldn't mind listening to music of the night. Yeah, you know, it's like, some songs oh, yeah, in there. Okay, there's not? and
0: there's what's funny to me is that if you listen to enough shows, there's a song from every show that is not famous that you will love. It's magic, and it should be magic. It should be everything for forever and ever and ever. This was awesome, Charlie. <laughs>
1: We only nominally talked about that. I'm La super excited
0: to see how I edit this later. <laughs> I
1: was going to say, I feel bad for you. I feel a little guilty.
0: Well, I drove this truck, so I'm not like, <laughs> I am, I'm the one in charge. But I do want to close on Man La Mancha yes, a little bit. Yes, we should
1: get back to and that. And
0: we've discussed a lot of lofty concepts and ideals. So I want to close with a lofty question. Where do you think Man Mancha's place is in the modern American musical theater pantheon? Meaning... Does it like because the answer could be it doesn't have one. It exists purely as a relic from its period in time, which is borne out by the success of revivals, I will say, I mean, but or, or do you think it's like it, 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 with the in the right hands this could be something
1: I mean I, that's a yeah, that's a big question. I sort of was having the same question when you were going over the amount of performances of the revivals mm-hmm. and sort of wondering if the musical had borne its time and the revivals were just based out of nostalgia Mm -hmm. and, and eventually that will leave and then people won't, maybe won't do this show as much anymore. Um, or whether it's like a cultural moment where depending on whether we need entertainment or hope or cynicism depend, will affect whether this play comes back into popularity. Um, Oh, and then you were asking about what you could do with it. I did. I mean, I did have this sort of thought about what it would be like to do a deconstructionist production of mental of La <laughs> Or like,
0: They'd never see it coming. Like I... a very
1: Brechtian version or something. Um, I don't Well, it does. I mean, my
0: wife asked me. We were listening to this today in, in preparation for this. And she said, has anyone ever staged this show set in a mental institution right. in modern day? And I was kind of like, I have to imagine somebody, Someone has, somewhere. because yeah. it, it it's right there. It's already set in a prison. Like it's not a big leap. But I did have this kind of like, what would this show be like in the round, with no set to speak of, and like just the bu- is there it enough would be there? Interesting.
1: To- like if you could, you know, because the prisoners are sort of taking on the parts. Could you have multiple people playing the same role? That hmm, might be an interesting, interesting way to, like, look at the Aldanza.
0: Sa- but it never satisfies this sure. core problem. No,
1: but it would, It might, like, point it out and be like, we know this is a...
0: So here's a plot question. The main antagonist prisoner. Right. Who does he play in the story within the story?
1: Isn't he the, um, they call him, like, the Duke, right? Is that what the yeah, character's is? Yeah, is, is that, yes. Um, Doesn't he play, like...
0: He assumes um, the, the role knight. of the antagonist knight at the end, right. right? That's what he gets?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: What if that was Aldonza? Because uh, there's an interest. If if the main antagonist prisoner is Aldonza, who becomes Dulcinea, there's a. it's not impossible for me to imagine staging the show in such a way where Dulcinea sings or Aldonza sings Aldonza and then becomes the evil knight because it is literally what she's doing to him in that moment That causes him to fall, like in the context of the show, she is an observer in that scene in the way it is now. But like if you did it in that way where she is like the through line antagonist, does that give her my name is Dulcinea? And then their release of uh, Cervantes at the end. It all links, like it all it all ties up. Does I mean, that...
1: I mean that's definitely an interesting idea. And if someone were doing that, maybe I might be convinced to see this mm-hmm. musical again. I mean, I think
0: because I, think... I never just want to say the solution is gender blind casting. Go nuts, figure right. it out. Because that doesn't
1: because it, it holds meaning. Bodies hold meaning. Exactly right. You know? um,
0: and that the problem is and not I think that, you've that simple. Also
1: pointed out in the previous thing that that when she has that line, "My name is Dulcinea," we're not one hundred percent sure whether it's Aldonza or the prisoner mm-hmm. saying it, right? Right. Um, And
0: since the prisoner has no no name or or animus of their own.
1: And I wonder if there's a way to sort of link link that to being about Cervantes and not about Don Quixote.
0: Right. Because Dulcinea is Don Quixote's antagonist in this version of Don Quixote. Right. She is the one constantly saying stop it. Yeah. Everybody else is kind of like his family is kind of saying stop it, but they're really telling the priest to stop it. And the suitor of his niece is saying stop it. But sort of. Like you know what I mean? Like not really. Like she's the one that he's actually talking to who's like, You're an idiot.
1: Right. And
0: he actually kind of hears her.
1: Yeah. I suppose you could also say it as stage it where where her saying, My name is Oh no, you're right, that happens after. He, was, dies, he dies and Sancho and, and she have this said, conversation yeah.
0: and she says
1: a man dies. He seemed a good man, but I did not know him. But Don Quixote is not dead. Believe, Sancho. Believe.
0: And that's our big like oh, 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 moment. Yeah, it
1: doesn't. But it me. could
0: be if it was. But, but I'm p- saying like if it was the if it, it was the person who was her, his actual antagonist in real life and in the show within the show. That moment, then
1: the journey might.
0: Th- that it's might a, it's be a much more, more of a close yeah. circle where the duke is because he does change. The duke sees things Cervantes way at the end. Right. At least sees the value in what he's yes. doing. That closes that loop, nice and tight, and. Absolutely brings us into the real world in a really nice moment of like he says my name is Dulcinea or she says it would be my name is Dulcinea and now we're out we're out of we're out of don quixote we're now back in the prison and we're good you know what i mean right
1: Possible. i don't maybe. think that would fix all the problems no
0: oh but, certainly not you know but so but i am just i'm always interested in maybe that maybe it's one like, of
1: those short is that maybe one day encores will do it and like commission a new bu- book rewrite because you know sometimes they yeah. have someone rewrite the book
0: I don't see them doing. That.
1: No, probably not. <laughs> because it's not viewed as a problem. It's usually, also but like, doesn't actually.
0: Well, and they fix. usually they usually do that when the show is seen either has a couple versions.
1: That's true. Or is
0: seen as being
1: unstageable. Unstageable,
0: or there being issues with it. But like the show won Tony Awards for best musical, best actor, best direction, best score. Excuse me, best choreography, scenic design, costume design. Oh, did it not win best book? There appears to be no Tony award for best book that year. That was not an award. So never mind. I was going to say one for best book, but it probably would have. I mean, it is, the, the book is not viewed as the issue of this right. at all. In fact, I don't think it's viewed as a show that has any issues in that way. It's sure. just a show that like apparently was a 60s show and it lived its brilliant light, and then it kind of has nothing to give us. But
1: Well, and I think if you're, you know, if you and if you watch it and you don't have a lens thinking about the female experience. Right. Probably nothing about it would bother you.
0: Right. But you would, I think, as I did when I first saw it. I mean, I was not I was not quite as woke as I am now, I would say. <laughs> not that I was like, I, I think I right. was okay, but I right. wasn't like... I do think that like the show left me unsatisfied. Mm. And I really couldn't... And I think if you listen to the early episode with Nick, I have a lot of trouble expressing why. But yeah. I find it to be unsatisfying. And I think one of the reasons is it doesn't think it's themes all the way through. Right. There's a lot of stuff in it that it 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 starts some really interesting ideas that are never explored. And this idea of a prison of a man in a prison and a he talks about a character living in a, an oppressive world who escapes through imagination like there's some amazing parallels there that really could be fascinating Right. and just aren't. Like just they just aren't taken. Whereas if you do something like where we're talking about closing that loop a little bit it just gives the thing a tiny, like, another level. Sure. Which then makes me go, oh, like, I've had a journey with Cervantes and Don Quixote and Aldanza and the Duke. Like, all of these people have been on a journey and I've watched it. Whereas it's like, oh, we're done now. Like, right. Yeah. And when you don't have a number to close you out to tell you that, like, you know, this is, this is our big musical resolution, if my release is entirely in dialogue... It's gonna have to give me something more than just like and yep yep dup, da dup da dup done you know really? we've got to go out with something here because it is a damn musical like right. I do, <laughs> let's
1: That's go out some, yeah. you know well you'll you'll have to let me know if you end up directing it sure yeah I don't see
0: that happening <laughs> but it could I guess theoretically
1: if you'd right. like to hire Patrick Flynn right. you can find him <laughs> oh at...
0: please do oh no you can find me I'm very findable. <laughs> I am on the internet. I am all over the place. It's like, we've been here for like two hours. i got to shut this show down. This was fantastic, Charlene.
1: (laughs) I'm so glad to have met you. This is
0: awesome. So what have you got coming up?
1: All right. Well, sadly, as we just learned, our incest rep will have closed (laughs) right before this comes out. So sorry you missed it. You'll have to wonder what that means. Cool. Um, So our next season in the fall uh, Brave Spirits Theater will be producing uh, Dr. Faustus, uh, directed by Paul Reisman. and oh. um, Yeah, which He you, a Brother yeah. Mario. I know, it's Paul. Bar- brother Mario in mm-hmm. Faction of Fool's fame. And uh, we are going to uh, regender the title character. Uh, so Faustus will be female. I'll be playing that role. And so we'll, we'll really be looking at um, the downfall of an ambitious, brilliant woman and you know, whether it's warranted and how our society, society treats women who reach above the bounds Mm. of what is considered acceptable. Interesting, where is that going up? Uh, So we perform out of the lab at Convergence, which is uh, Mm -hmm. on Quaker Lane in Alexandria, Virginia. Right near, right across 395 from Shirlington. Oh yes. Yeah.
0: Oh well, yeah, you're yeah. big at Shirlington, I'm sure, right? Yeah. Um, do you have, so you don't have anything at Fringe or anything that's coming up this summer?
1: Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know yet. I might. I'm Brave Spirits doesn't. I sure. Might you may things, have something. But I don't okay. know. Oh wait, that's no, one. I do. I do have oh, one thing. Okay. Huh. I uh-huh. was about to get in a lot of trouble. All right. <laughs> so as an actor, then I'll also be appearing in the Claire Beau Project at Fr- Fringe. Uh, produced by Live Art DC. Um, they, they do a lot of devising of new scripts, and we've been working on this play about the silent movie star, Claire Bow, for mm-hmm. two years now. And we um, previewed our co- first completed script at Page to Stage this mm-hmm. past year, and so we're taking it to Fringe this summer. Oh, very cool. Yeah.
0: And people can follow you on Twitter, I know.
1: Yeah, I'm there, Charlene V. Smith. Um, my theater company's there. at It's Brave Underscore Spirits. You can find the theater company at BraceSpiritstheater.com. That's theater with an R-E. Because um, if you listen to this episode, you already know I'm pretentious. We
0: spell theater with an R-E. Yeah. Yes, That's how we roll. <laughs> yeah,
1: and of course, Facebook, all those places. Oh.
0: The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. This episode was recorded at the Media Production Center at American University. Special thanks to Jeffrey Madison, Tom Fish, and Imani Mular. If you like the original cast, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. It's the easiest way to make sure other people find the show. The original cast is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Original Cast Pod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at Unknown Penguin. My thanks to Charlene V. Smith for coming down and talking to me tonight. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal.